to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Isaiah 61 is on page 739 of the Bibles in the pews. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land. And everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And the second reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. And that's on page 1,115 of your pew Bibles. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, The child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, 
and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Well, thanks for having me tonight. Booming. Thank you. In the USA, a little while ago, uh, three young blokes hopped onto a local bus for a ride. Um, they were pumped. They were ready for a big night. And, uh, you know, they're young dudes looking for some excitement. They noticed that at the back of the bus, there is this man alone. He's wearing a beanie. He's got some trackies, you know, in the shadows of the back of the bus. At first they thought, well, let's just make a few jokes about him. There's no one else on the bus. Let's just kind of have a, have a laugh. And he just sat there in his beanie and his trackies. No response. So they sit up the, towards the back and they, they thought, let's see how far we can push him. So they start insulting him directly to his face. And the man with the beanie and the trackies just sits there and just quaint, I suppose, not smiling, not really responding at all, which really fires them up some more. But the bus slows down for the next bus stop and the man hops up. And to their surprise, he's a much much bigger man than they expected. And as he stands up, they realise they had picked a fight with the wrong guy and the man reaches into his pocket. The three guys are scared out of their mind and he hands them a business card and he hops off the bus. The business card has this on it. Are we going to work? Oh, yes, we are going to work. Joe Louis. Does anyone know who Joe Louis is? He is the world heavyweight boxing champion for 11 years in a row. Uh, he is not the guy you want to pick a fight with. And let me tell you, they were, those three kids were extraordinarily grateful that out of the kindness of this big man's heart, they woke up in a good mood that day and didn't punish them all. Now, as we encounter little baby Jesus through Simeon in Luke's gospel, we must realise that Luke is at pains to share carefully investigated eyewitness accounts of the truth of Jesus, so that we might see Jesus' true greatness. From his birth to his resurrection and ascension, from Jerusalem to all nations. Lest we be a punk who has no idea who we're insulting, only to find that it is the Lord's Christ that we are picking a fight with. Because God is not so fickle as to wake up some days in a good mood and other days in a bad. No, he has bought peace with us in the sending, the death, and the resurrection of his own son. Whether you are at peace or war with the Lord in his world depends on how you see his Christ. Simeon saw enough to be so filled with joy and satisfaction that he said, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He is so happy he could die. What would you see? A bub. Most babies are just blobs until they're a few months old and then they get some personality and then they're a bit more fun. But what did Simeon see? What could you see? What could you possibly see that you could be so happy you could die? It couldn't be superficial. It couldn't be trivial. Such things can't be enjoyed if you die. Simeon sees the fulfillment of the promises and hopes of a nation. See, Luke introduces us to Simeon as righteous and devout. Now, such religious descriptions might be lost on us, but at the time of Jesus' birth, Israel were in danger of losing themselves. See, the Israelite nation had once been forged by God's powerful hand, the exodus from Egypt, the Davidic kingdom, 
and in and the return from the Babylonian exile. But at this point in Israel's history, they found themselves again under foreign rule, the Romans. And they were led by harsh and dogmatic teachers of the Jewish law known as Pharisees. And it would have been difficult to separate the religious doers of the law from the devout doers of God's will. And all the while, Israel were longing for the prophesied Messiah to free them and restore their nation to glory, Isaiah 61. But it would have been difficult to separate the motives of such hope for those who hoped for their own glory and those who hoped for God's glory. But out of the confusion, Simeon emerges as a man for God. His righteousness and devoutness to God is marked by a particular characteristic. It's waiting. Now, one of my favorite books to read to Callum, my two-year-old, is um, a Dr. Seuss book called All the Places You'll Go. Does anyone know it? I'm not sure why I read it to him. But um, in that book, they get halfway through and everyone is just waiting. They're waiting for trains to come. They're waiting for their hair to grow. They're waiting for the snow to snow, the rain to rain, all that kind of jazz. But that's boring. No waiting's not for you. All the places you'll go. And so I read that to Callum and he gets excited about the places he'll go. But waiting for God is anything, is anything but boring. Especially when you have a particular promise like Simeon. For the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would see the Lord's Christ in his lifetime. The fulfillment of Isaiah 61 again. The restoration of Israel and the praise of all nations. It's like a thousand Jewish Christmases all at once. Wait a second. It's how, how about, it's like a thousand Christmases they didn't know they were going to have all at once in the Christmas story. See, waiting on God is defined between two poles. And these two poles characterize the Christian life as well. They are faith and hope. See, Simeon wasn't waiting around in bitter desperation because he knew that God was trustworthy. Living in the present in faith is on the basis of remembering who God is and what he has done. The very consecration of little baby Jesus that Simeon witnessed in the temple according to the custom of the law was a celebration of God saving the firstborn males of Israel and redeeming the entire nation from the Exodus. It was itself a process of remembering who God was and who he was particularly to Israel in saving them. And time and time again throughout the Old Testament, especially in the messy parts at the end in the exile, the prophets of God remind the people what God had done. Despite the present circumstances, God is faithful. And in addition to faith, waiting is defined by hope. Hope looks forward. Faith looks back, if you like. Hope looks forward. But both inform the present. Hope gives space for God to be God in the future. Simeon was hoping to see the fulfillment of God's promises, especially the sending of his Messiah. And Simeon sees that in Jesus. Simeon is released from this hope in its fulfillment, released, if you like, into a peaceful death. For us, having seen the Messiah through the eyewitness accounts of Luke and the rest of Scripture, we are hoping for the redemption of all things. Hope helps us separate our things to come from the things that God has already done and is doing. 
It helps stop us claiming too much of the present and frees us up to love in the present, to know peace in the present. Ero spoke about this a lot in the series on freedom, love and justice. But what we see in the account of Simeon is that faith and hope come together in the birth of Jesus. He is the beginning of the end, the beginning of the fulfillment of all the promises of Scripture, the one who would liberate and console, the one who would rescue, the one who would renew a nation's hope. The difference for us is that Simeon did not know the contents of that hope, merely that God would be glorified. We have seen into the very contents of God's fulfilled promises in Jesus, in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension. We have seen the contents of God's salvation of sinners. And the little baby that Simeon encounters would grow up to do the most remarkable things, the most unexpected things. And as Simeon took this little baby Jesus into his hands and raised him toward God, his praise overflows into a hymn of preparation for death. Sovereign Lord, he says, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Is verse 30 now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, we could scarcely comprehend what it would have been like for the messianic hope of a nation to eventuate in the hands of this man, Simeon. Will he grow up to be a mighty leader to crush the oppressors? How will he console the nation? What will liberation look like? Oh, it's all good. God's going to be glorified in this little baby who is God's anointed one. And that's enough for Simeon. Praise the sovereign Lord. Knowing that God's word comes to fulfillment, especially in Simeon's very eyes, draws him into a deep, a deep sense of peace. Like all is right in the world again. And this is the peace, the shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, this is the peace of scripture. The longed for harmony of how things ought to be in God's world. Shalom is a big thing to hope for, is it not? Real hope. That the real God has entered into the real world to bring about real peace. There would have been no magical emanation of peace as, as Simeon held this baby. No, this was just the beginning of the end. And there was still much to hope for. But for now, for Simeon, the sovereign Lord is with us, Emmanuel, the Lord's Christ, Jesus. And between faith and hope, there is this deep sense of peace. Between knowing what God has done and what he will do is peace. A deep sense of assurance that God is the sovereign Lord and he will be who he has promised to be for us now and for all eternity. For God is a saving God. And Simeon has seen God's salvation in this baby, in his hands. God will save his people. And it starts now in this little life. Are you at peace? We read peace on a Christmas card, if only for a split second, before we open it, strip out the cash and scoff some ham. Is that how Christmas goes? 
But do you know the deep sense of peace that Simeon speaks of? Such a deep sense that he's willing to be released from this life. Between faith and hope, he saw with eyes to see God's salvation. It's a weird phrase, seeing your salvation. Like if you got salvation in Pictionary, you'd be stuffed. It's abstract, it's conceptual. But Simeon sees it. He sees it in the sight of all people. Yet not all are willing to see it. Jesus is salvation personified. He is the saving God in the flesh. He is the God that is for us and with us. And the sovereign Lord has prepared salvation in the sight of all people. And you can see it too. God has ordained his servants like Luke and the Apostle Paul and many others to testify to what they have seen. If you were alive 2,000 years ago, you could have seen it. God really did enter into his world in his son Jesus Christ. Now in our scientific age, that's not enough. We want more. We want to experiment on Jesus. We want to put him in our petri dish if you like. But God has entered into history a category beyond scientific experimentation and repetition. The historical records of Scripture are like the YouTube of the first century Palestine. In the words of Scripture, we too can see salvation in the Lord's Christ. But I might have lost some of you already. Where is this salvation? Where is this peace that is being brought about? Has this guy even heard about Palestine and what's going on there? Christians and their stupid spiritual ideas. So let me say a couple of things. This side of the cross, there are two interrelated types of peace. The first is Romans 8, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we have peace with God. The second is the broader sense, shalom for the whole world and all of God's creation. Revelation 21, that God will be with his people and that he will wipe away every tear from the eyes now, the first is unexpected, that we would be, uh, have no condemnation with, with God for those who are in Christ. But that is unexpected if you underappreciate the heart of the problem. We are at war with God. We are his enemies vandalizing shalom. And when Jesus shows us that the heart of the problem is our heart, things get messed up. You must see Jesus for who he is. War or peace depends on it. There's a lot to take in, I guess. And for Simeon, he would have blown the minds of Joseph and Mary, I have no doubt. They marveled about what was being said about their son. I was chuffed with some visitors, some flowers, some stuffed toys when my boys were born. But they've had angels, they've had wise men. And now Simeon showers them with the most incredible news of who their boy is and what he means for Israel and all the nations. But the kind of peace that Jesus will bring into the world is far from Sorry, let me start again. The kind of peace that Jesus will bring into the world is far from the naive and empty dreams of beauty pageant queens. You know, the, I want all the children of the world to live in peace, which is a fantastic dream to have, but these are empty words in the reality of this world. The peace that Jesus would bring would expose the depth of war, of enmity between us and God and us and others and us and the world. See, things are far from shalom. You don't need me to tell you that. 
They are not how they ought to be. There is a deep sense in all of us that things are not how they ought to be. And Jesus is born into the mess of it. I'm sorry if this is hard to hear, this talk on peace. Because you you might despise empty words about peace because your life might be difficult at the moment. Maybe reminded by Christmas about what families ought to be and yours is not. Or in your suffering and illness and what your body ought ought not to be. Or there's a deep sense of disappointment or loss. Maybe because you've been so disillusioned by the allure of hope and only crushed by empty promises. But this is the messed up world that Jesus was born into. And even as a baby Jesus, he was not immune to the threats of this world. Don't forget that Herod has not entertained any kind of peace with Jesus. Rather, he saw him as a threat to his own reign. He killed an entire generation of young boys in the hope of eliminating Jesus. I think you looked at this a couple of weeks ago in Matthew 2. And now Simeon speaks to this. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many. This is verse 34. Uh, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That was to Mary. Even as God's son enters the world to bring peace into brokenness, the result for many will be enmity, war. People don't want peace on other people's terms. They only want peace on their own terms. See, people don't understand the enmity that exists on their own terms, that exists in their own heart. For Jesus will reveal our own hearts to us, and it's not pretty. For the proud and the self-righteous, Jesus will be a sign to be spoken against. He will be the object of war and not peace. They will only see what they want to see, and not God, who created this world and entered into it in Jesus. Some would rather fall than face their reality before God. But for the humble, those who are willing to listen to what God says about them, this world and himself, they will rise. They will be exalted. They will have peace and they will have rest. They will see with eyes of faith and hope for the consummation of all things, recognizing that even in the mess, there is peace. And there is assurance to be found in God with us, Emmanuel. Even if bad times lie ahead, between faith and hope there is peace. Even the elated Mary is told of future pain. How this little child, this little innocent child in Simeon's arms, who Mary has birthed, would be a sword that will pierce her own soul. For Jesus will serve his own father's house, as he will say, as a boy in the temple. And he will remain obedient to the father as the one who humbles himself to death on a cross. And as Jesus grew, he would teach, he would heal, he would liberate and he would die. And Luke tells us how he will approach Jerusalem for the last time. Jesus sees the city and he weeps for it. And he said... If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. They had rejected the peace that God had come to bring and brought war upon the Messiah. Jesus would take that war upon himself and he would die as a criminal on a cross, 
where's your salvation now, Jesus? But the same words of Simeon would apply, yes? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. What God had prepared for all people to see in the bleeding and dying Christ was nothing short of salvation. For on that cross, he has taken the burden of our sin. He has taken the war that we have waged against God and nailed it to the cross. And that salvation is made known and declared in the resurrection of Jesus' triumph over death. And one of the first things that Jesus says uh, as the resurrected Lord when he comes to his disciples is peace to you. Which of course is needed when people see resurrected people. But of course, peace to you, as the resurrected Lord says that, is the beginning of something radically new. For we are brought into peace in Jesus' resurrection. Resurrection is at the center of our salvation because in it is our radical death. And our resurrection into new life. For some this might just be another Christmas. Another Christmas sermon in the the lead up to the big day. For some of you you will be disillusioned by hope. For some of you you might have even forgotten what God has done. Can I say that Simeon's account is a reminder to all of us that we might see clearly who Jesus is. That we might see the Lord's salvation and clearly. For those of you who confess to be Christians, can I suggest that that starts with confession? I can't tell you how often I don't see Jesus clearly because of my own heart's desires. And so as we confess, as we humble ourselves... We are praying that we would see God Christ clearly and that we would see his salvation and we'd see the power of the resurrected Lord manifested in our lives by his spirit. And I also frustrate my understanding of God's peace in my life by confusing faith and hope. Sometimes I lose sight of what I'm hoping for as though this is how things are meant to be. Life is really good sometimes and it's very easy to confuse that with what things ought to be in the future. In faith, I need to see who God is in Christ to me now because of what he's done, but hold uh, what God will do in the future out as hope, that I might long for a day when there will be no more tears and that God will consummate the entire world and his kingdom under the Lord Jesus. When I don't do that, I frustrate peace in my life. I feel anxious and peace feels like a distant, abstract concept. Join with me in confessing and in seeing clearly the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord's salvation. And out of that will come praise and peace in our lives. Let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ in a little baby born into this world. Father, we thank you for how that little baby, how little Jesus grew up to be a man, how he took on the sins of this world in his death, and how he triumphed over death in the resurrection. Father, renew us in our heart by your spirit that we might know the truth of this, that we might see Jesus clearly.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.